Radio. My name is Dr. Andrea Goldmarks, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Jennifer Davis-Page, and three courageous men who are going to help us focus on male friendships. And we're so curious about male friendships. We have with us Ron Reed and Chuck Royer, Michael Mark. So, Ron, could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we begin? Well, I'm... Um about myself, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm married. I'm married. Recent coming sixth anniversary coming up, and very excited, very happy, happily married. Uh, lucky to have uh, my wife and I. Uh, lucky to have discovered each other at late, fairly late stage in life. So it's that's pretty cool. And uh, I'm a I'm a talent agent by profession, and an event producer. Thank you. And Chuck. Chuck Courier. I am a commercial real estate broker, and I help people find places for their business. I've been married for 30 years. So I've been married three times to the same woman. We get married every year that has an O in it. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. And Dr. Michael Marks. I'm Dr. Michael Marks, and I'm the other half of Dr. Andrea Gould Marks. Uh, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I'm currently a professor of practice at the University of Arizona and the uh, CEO of a nonprofit, One Tree Learning Institute. Wow. So we have three men here who are totally willing to dive in to the wonderful subject of friendship. And we've spent quite a bit of time talking to women about friendships. But now we're really curious about how male friendships are similar and different. What do you think? Why is there such a lack of research, do you think, on male friendships? Did you know that? I, I think there's... um. There's a lot of cliches about male friendships. There's a lot of sort of convention, CW, you know, conventional wisdom. And I think that a lot of it isn't true. So I think that sometimes maybe you say, why is there not a research? I think we think we know the answer. So therefore, we don't look for answers. Uh -huh. We accept these cliches, which really, annoy, it really annoys me, I mean, assumptions about uh, men and men in uh, uh, non-sexual relationships with other men, you know. So, yeah. What do you think, Chuck, about uh, the rumors about or the cliches, as Ron said, about male friendships? You know, I'm I'm not a follower of that psychology, but I'll tell you this: I've observed my wife create friendships over the years. When I married her 30 years ago. I acquired 25 girlfriends, <laughs> and it was wonderful. I mean, I didn't have that many men friends, and girlfriends are different than male friends. You know, we go through stages in life where we're first we're teenagers, and then we're uh, in college, and then we get out and we get our first job, and every time we make male friendships, but they're not the same. They're and just not the same. 
What do you see as the difference, Michael Marks? Well, I think there is, there is research, if you will, about male development. A uh, classic book is called The Seasons of a Man's Life that actually then got uh, kind of generalized to women, which you all have different developmental stages, so that there is some research about that, and kind of like what you're talking about. So we go through you know, teenage, adolescence, and if you want to equate that with the animal world, you know, there's all that jostling and physical stuff um, as part of male friendships that typically you don't see with women. Um, the other part, and I think of when I've thought about this topic, is that for me... Most of, in my adult life, most of my male friendships have come from work-related projects, and it's it's kind of like what you said. I mean, when we got married, I I didn't get twenty five, but I got pretty close to it. You know, here's here's a bunch of friends. Oh, okay. Uh, prior to that, left to my own devices, I might have five friends. So, so let's talk a little bit about the roots of friendship. Like when you're a youngster, or like Michael was saying, you know, the, the physical activity, sports, or, or game playing, or horsing around. What do you remember about early friendships, Ron? Um, <clears throat> I, you know, it is, I, th I think that, well, again, I was thinking about this and driving over here. <laughs> uh, Good. The, the, uh, what do I think about male friendships? I, I think that there's, I don't know, I'm usually not at a loss for words, I'm a, as you know. But I think that there's, it's got something to do with, if you want to, I'm the one who said there were cliches, and now I'm going to use one. And that's about the laws of attraction, I guess, to people. And I think that, that there are some very powerful forces in play that um, are almost undefinable. And you don't you don't really know why these things take place, and so I, I'm gonna can I can I have a couple of minutes to yeah. to expand on this? I um about ten years ago, I had a mini reunion with some high school classmates. I had it here at Tucson in Tucson, oddly enough, and only one of us lived here. And I, it was with people that I had not, these are my sort of my high school and junior high school friends. And I had not seen them or spoken to most of them in 40 years. And uh, I didn't, I don't go to, I've, I've only been to one high school reunion in my life. And I didn't go to any, any of them. And I, anyway, so I had this sort of mini reunion with people. And what was incredible to me was that re, it rekindled some friendships almost as if there was no 40-year gap. And when I, it, it just, it sort of stunned me. And, and, I, and I, I've maintained these friendships now uh, to this day with the people who are at that uh, get-together. And so that made me think, oh, why, why is this? And I, this is what I thought, is that whatever attracted us to each other as children or young people, those things are still there. All those things are still there. And so the, the gap in time and space was irrelevant. 
Very, very mm. interesting. Mm. And I want to come back yeah, to, yeah. to the maintenance aspect. What do you remember about the roots of friendship for yourself? My experience is quite different. I reconnected with the, my best friend just recently. and A friend that was made at what point in your life? We were teenagers. Okay. We were very, very close friends. And we used to go roller skating together, and we used to uh, dance, go, go to dances, and we would, you know, chase the girls. So that was a shared experience, we took a, the chasing. He, he followed me into the uh, Air Force Reserves. He followed me into the apprenticeship to become an electrician. And then we parted ways. I went back to college. He stayed working with the electrical trade. And and here we are 55 years later, and he has lots of stories that would have interested me had I been an electrician. <coughs> stories about <laughs> difficult places that he had to work and hard work. Soldering. <laughs> Soldering. <laughs> Among but, others. <laughs> but I, but I was... You know, I, I had a career as an executive. I was the CEO of a company, and I did that for 30 years. So we really didn't have anything to talk about. So we got together once, and I wasn't particularly fond about his wife. She wanted to save me, and I'm already saved. So <laughs> that was another factor. H-A-P-P-Y, S-A-B-E-D. And so... Uh, we, we talked about getting together to play golf, and uh, he pursued that. He called me, but I just decided that maybe I just have a, a different set of interests now, and so I didn't pursue that friendship. Mm, that and brings up the whole issue of outgrowing mm -hmm, friends, absolutely. which, you know, we certainly... And that can happen in any relationship, um, right. women as well. Yeah. Right. I do know that it's happened in my wife's uh, relationship. She's cut loose at least one woman because they don't share core values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we call it weeding the garden, but we actually do have one of our original podcasts was on derailed relationships. So back to the roots of friendship. Do you yeah. have a little friendship story for us? Um, I grew up in a really small town like 1,500 people. So certainly my male friendships centered around sports. It was a rural area, so when we weren't doing sports, we were playing war, making forts, and girls were, you know, as I remember growing up, of course, in adolescence, suddenly all your cooties went away and you became for some reason of interest <laughs> prior to that. But all those bonds um, with with my male friends, again, in this small town, things centered around activities, lots of sports. I mean, we would go, this is Northern California. So the weather was pretty good year round. So we went from sport to sport to sport to sport. I mean, just year round. Um, and... You know, while I appreciate your story, Ron, I, I, I probably identify more with what Chuck is talking about. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I mean, 
1,500 people. I know there's a world out there, and I want to go see it. We had 1,400 people okay. in my high school graduating. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that happened. Yeah, Andrea's yeah. graduating class was as big, bigger than my hometown. It's like, yes, what? in New York City. So, so, but those were really, really close friendships because we were in proximity with each other. Um, and then when I left, and I've gone back to reunions, and it's great to see them, and I love those people, and, you know, thank God they were in my life, but they really aren't a part of my support system anymore. So that it has changed over time. Uh, I know, like when I was in graduate school, had a really good friend there that ultimately we ended up practicing together in Montana for about 28 years. He was a Vietnam veteran, so we did a lot of work around trauma stuff. But again, as I've thought about this driving here, is most of my male friendships started around some project. So creative um, yeah. project. When, I, when I think back to my uh, high school reunion, that was the first time I ever found out that I was a cool guy. <laughs> right. I felt like an idiot yeah, in the well. place. Yeah. And people were coming up to me and saying, you know, we really appreciate that car club that you started. Or, you know, we like the way you dressed. And I, and I didn't know any And of you that. had to wait years to hear that compliment. <laughs> 50 <Yeah>. years. <laughs> and, and that really relates to what Ron is saying in terms of that original perception that people have of us. And I think that's pretty important in terms of friendships. Because You know, it's really interesting. My, my experience, I don't mean to interrupt, I apologize, no, friend, but my experience is radically different from either Michael's or Chuck's. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, not sure I'm not sure why. Um, like I said, I went to a high school reunion. It was my 50th, I don't mean to mm -hmm. tell tales, but I went to my 50th high school <laughs> reunion. And one of the reasons I didn't go to reunions is what I, it was only, and I had about 400 people in my graduating class. In high school. Where were you? In New York as well. And, uh, but um, there was almost nobody that I had any interest in, in seeing at that point. I just, I just didn't. There was a handful of people that I was interested in. And this group, so th this is interesting. So of the people, so for example, almost, and almost all my friendships were, I mean, I work in the arts and I have almost my entire adult life. And all my friendships were people um, in the arts or various professions. So the people at this mini reunion 10 years ago that I went to, um, uh, ER doctor in uh, Los Angeles, um, a retired uh, symphony musician, uh, retired professor, history professor and author, um, the, so it was just all these sort, and these are the these and these people, for, and uh, another probably the best piano player <clears throat> I've ever seen in my entire life. And his brother is a musician, and his father is a musician, and he decided that he'd become a lawyer, and that there was no future in music, and he worked in um, sort of uh, uh, corporate law, kind of insurance law, kind of that, that end of, of things, and he retired early. And he, and he went back to playing the piano, and I, th so, so the arts brought you together. The, the arts brought us together to. and continued to. But it was a very unusual. I went to a very unusual high school that it was a particular group of people, and they were all all I would I would say 
50 to 60 percent of the people were like very they authors the t- authors and what was the high school it was from? called uh, it, was, it was in a suburb of new york city called spring valley new york it was just spring valley high school and, really? and it was and it just was it just was this amazing sort of there was this kind of kind of synergism that happened where these particular people came together and created something that was bigger than the sum of the parts right and, uh, that my high school graduating class, we had 64 people and the same sort of thing. But it had been a lifelong through kindergarten all the way through high school. Where are you going to go to college? Where are you going to go to college? So out of that 64, probably 50 of us got advanced degrees. But it, and, and that became part of the friendship, even with men, was to challenge each other in that kind of way to um to say you know what's the best in you uh, not just athletically but you know where are you going to go with your life what's what's your purpose here um you know i had that experience in college before you right. go on with your experience ron can oh. we, we're going to take a brief break and then we'll come back to you and your experience <laughs> okay. as soon as we come back <laughs> We good? Okay, <clears throat> you can start off, Jen, and just say we're back. We're yes, back. we're ready. Yeah. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Radio. This is Jennifer Davis Page in studio with uh, with my uh, my wonderful co-host, Dr. Andrea Gould Marks, and we're here with three very handsome gentlemen: Dr. Michael Marks, Chuck Courier, and Ron. Yes. We were starting a story, and we'd like our listeners. To have you pick up on that. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I uh, I, was, I was saying that Michael had said previously about this sort of uh, his maybe a little bit of competitiveness or professional pride among his high school classmates and went on and got advanced degrees. And interestingly, I had a uh, my my. I had a similar experience in college with the people I went to college with. However, the result of that is that I don't have any friends from that era. College. I have a few friends from my early life and my high school uh, life, and not a lot, just you know, a handful. And but I have, I think, one college friend that I'm still mm. friends with, that I bonded with. Somebody that I met like first or second day I was there, my freshman year, on the basketball court outside the dorm, and he and I are close friends to this very day. But virtually nobody else from that entire. Era. You know, you brought up the issue of attraction yeah, and the ineffable aspect of attraction, that what attracts us to friends. Michael mentioned that shared projects or shared, like two is better than one when it comes to tackling a project. Chuck. I can speak to that. In my undergraduate, I did almost always at night or weekends or whenever I could, and I had a family, so I couldn't really develop friends. I, I wanted to go home. And in graduate school, I went to Harvard Business School, and we would cluster in small groups, and those were like work groups, but it was almost like a board of directors, mm-hmm. and we would be given a case, and then we would discuss that case. So we grew some very close relationships there. And then we were competitive against other groups, so we had 
ethnocentrism working for us. <laughs> Woo. We're talking oh. big words now. Right. I'm nervous. Right, right. But how lovely Spoken to like have a true that, Harvard graduate. Right, to have that structure, you know, to have structure. The structure was very important. Right. Yeah. And, and then we would present our findings as, as a group in class, and other groups would present their findings. And the professor did a fantastic job of, of analyzing both sets. One would be for the, for the merger, for example, and one would be not for it. And so we would each make a case about that particular business. Are you still friendly with any of those guys? None of those guys. Mm -hmm. But we were very tight in college, mm -hmm. in grad school. So it really begs the question of continuity. You know, sometimes we've been talking, Jennifer and I and, and B.B. Peters, who's not here today, among ourselves, about what is it about the female friendship that is the continuity is so important to us. You know, we, if it's been a long time since we've spoken to somebody, we want to pick up on that. Um, what do you think's the reason for that? Or what is the opposite? What's the deal with continuity and picking up on things for men? Well, and I think we talked about this last time, just in terms of the different reasons why men and women communicate. And for men, it's typically to impart information or to solve a problem. Whereas women have those two reasons, but they have one other. They have this need to connect. And there's all kinds of evolutionary reasons for that. So my belief is you all are hardwired to think that way. To, to connect. Ma to make sure the tribe and the, and the cave is... There's harmony and homeostasis. And Whereas the hunters would go out. We're out, and we got a problem to solve. Let's go kill something. <laughs> right. right. So I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's a big chunk of it. And, and related to that is, and then I get accused, is that women share uh, intimate details of their lives oh, with yeah. each other, and yeah. men do not. It's right. embarrassing. It is. And so, yeah, so we don't ask, you know, I'll come home with something, I'll go with somebody, and, and Renee will ask me <laughs> some question about the other person's life, and I would go, I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, well, why didn't you, you didn't talk about it? I go, no. What did you talk about? We, we talked about baseball. Uh, right. <laughs> you know. Right. You know uh, so. I tried to start an mm -hmm. intimate group. I started with 10 people. We called it a mastermind group. And we met twice a month. And these were men. And these were all men. Yeah, we didn't even consider having a woman as part of the group. But we began by telling our life stories to each other in the group. And we grew very close together. Yeah. But that group absolutely blew up after about five years. A couple of the fellas died in very close proximity to one another uh, for different reasons. Uh, one guy was injured and became paralyzed. One guy uh, ended up cheating me in a business deal. And, you know, the, the group just blew up. There, I still have a couple of friends from that group that I have lunch with regularly, but it's not the same anymore. It's like you had an impulse, though to gather a group of men at that stage in your life. Yes. And that's interesting, and I want to pick up on that. Michael, you had something? And, and I was, that triggered me. I, talking about male friendships 
kind of through the life, life cycle. So like you were talking about graduate school, which ours was, we used to laugh about being competitive because we wouldn't be competitive with each other. We decided our mutual survival depended on each other. But we would, this group that I was with, there were 10 of us, we would play handball with each other and we would try and kill each other and then we'd laugh we say good thing we're not competitive you know but we could channel it that kind of way that's a great yeah that's a great story the, the other part is uh, you know when i for example moved to montana developing relationships there that you know lasted 35 years but understanding that those kinds of the people in graduate school, no, except for one or two. But after a time, you don't. You go on about your professional careers and you develop other relationships. If you had to describe uh, the perfect male friendship, what would it look like? What what, what would that look like? For Doesn't you? ask me how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> the person doesn't ask any personal yeah. questions. Yeah. He doesn't share any part of his sex life with me. <laughs> Ron, perfect male friendship? Uh, again, uh, I am kind of at a loss for words today, and I have no idea. Maybe I didn't have enough coffee or uh, or something. But uh, perfect male friendship, I don't know. Uh, just um, I think that a, a perfect male friendship is like other good relationships in that there's there can be there can be silence between the the two people and comfortable silence. Uh, yeah, yeah. And but I don't and I, I don't mean nothing. This is where I always talk because I workshops. I, I teach a workshop where one of the things I always say to people is that silence is not nothing. And it's like an art, you know, white space is not, not, not art, the same kind of thing. And so the kind of thing where there doesn't necessarily, you can sit with that person and do something with that person where you don't, there does not have to be a constant flow of conversation. And there's, so there's no sort of pressure or demands. It's exactly the opposite of like a date. <laughs> where, where it's zero, we go from, you know, 100% pressure to to 0% pressure. You can sit no matter what happens, no matter what you do, no matter what the activity is, that there's no, no judgment going on. There's no pressure to be something, say something, do something. If you, if you, you are free to be yourself at all times, you don't have to apologize for anything. So there's this just tremendous, it's kind of like a comfort bubble in a way mm -hmm. that, that you're in. So the, the degree of comfort is so high that you don't, you, I mean, there's so much in our lives we feel like we're being judged or evaluated in some way by other people, in, whether it's in business or in a social activity or, and so there is refuge in the kind of friendship where you don't, it's completely, I don't know whether you would call it, uh, what do they say about pets? Not, it's the love that is unconditional, All right? So, so the relationship is unconditional. So to me, that is my long answer to a short question. Uh, of what the ideal, ideal friendship would right. be. Yeah. So that it's more, the friendship is more, I like that word, refuge. Right. It's kind of a refuge or a sanctuary. 
In our remaining time, what we want to talk about when we come back after the break is how your relationships with friendships have changed over the years with, you know, all three of you are married men. So how has that changed? And, you know, what are the opportunities when we get into the later stages of life where we don't have career or we don't have graduate school or When we college. talk about our operations and the medications <laughs> we're taking. <laughs> where's that emergency room Exactly. Exactly. Remember when we used to talk about sex, drugs, and rock right, yeah, and roll? Yeah, yeah. Now we're talking about Medicare. Absolutely. <laughs> we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be back in just a moment. So we're back. Andrea Goldmark's here with these three very cooperative gentlemen who are willing. And handsome. <laughs> and handsome. Well, yeah, two, 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 two of them are. <laughs> I didn't realize this was going to be on camera, by the way. Otherwise, I w- would have worn a different face. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to continue the conversation, maybe talking a little bit about what might have attracted us to the friendships that we did develop. I mean, the pool from which we've drawn could have been a professional pool. I, it sounds like your mastermind group, Chuck, was, you know... Um, that was a Mastermind was prof- professional. Um, the arts, as you described it, psychology and projects related to what you do in terms of uh, helping people with trauma... Um, What would be the attraction? How would you know that that person was good friendship material? I'll tell you about country club friendships. Okay. It's not exactly on topic, but it illustrates how thin friendships go. They can go, In a country club, you go there and you know everybody and everybody knows you. And you have a wonderful conversation. You have great parties. You laugh. You play golf. Mm -hmm. It's really... But then we left our country club when we moved to Tucson. We didn't hear from anybody. It was like we mm-hmm. dropped off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So I, I call those very thin friendships. Yeah, that's like like marriages of convenience. But they were so much fun at the time, you know, at the pool and at the golf course and the tournaments. And, you know, it was just really a lot of fun. That's a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. You know, when women get together and we establish a really good friendship, there isn't anything that she doesn't know about us. I'm hearing in this room that you that men don't share those kinds of intimacies. So, so now, is your wives your best friends at this point? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I might push back a little bit about that. I, I'm, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who actually uh, died within the last year. Uh, Talk my, about that friendship. My it's... my best friend, because um, of my work with veterans. So my definition of a perfect friendship is somebody I trust in a foxhole. Mm-hmm. That's my short answer mm-hmm. <laughs> to the short question. Um, and Greg was a Navy SEAL. He got back from Vietnam and walked from Alaska to Mexico by himself. Oh my. And so when I met him, I'd heard about him, and he'd heard about me because I was starting to do some 
a lot of intensive work with veterans. So we kind of, we were like dogs kind of, you know, sniffing around each other. Who are you? What are you about? So Greg had walked from Alaska to Mexico by himself. And when we first met, I said, um, so what'd you do that for? And he kind of looked at me and said, I was hoping to walk the war out of me. Mm. And I said, how'd that work? And he said, it didn't. But it restored my faith in humanity. And that was the thing. I said, I need to know this guy. That some, he had gone through some sort of journey that he had something to teach me. And so we spent, until he died last year, um, I mean, we'd converse with each other all the time. He started to develop dementia and we'd get agitated when I'd call him. So eventually I had to just for his sake, you know, stop calling him because he'd try and, but he was, he was literally a brother. Before the dementia set in, did you share your very private personal thoughts with him? Yep. We had, um, we were both very much into Native American spirituality. We would go and do sweats and rituals. Um, we were in a men's group together for a number of years. Um, kind of when the whole men's movement was going on, we were involved in that, those kind of things. So, yes. Um, and how long did that friendship last? Until he died. How many it, years were you friends? 30, oh, almost 40 time. years. Wonderful. Mm, almost see. 40 years. And that you would say that was your closest male friendship. Yeah. 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 And I was just curious, too, because I, I, I like what you said about you knew that there was, you're a deep seeker. You're a, de a depth charge seeker. And I no, think that was a compliment. That was a compliment. I don't, that attracted me to him. <laughs> it was intended as a compliment. Right. It was actually a compliment. Right? There you go. So I think that there's like le 